0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. So take your Bible, if you would, turn with me to chapter 2 of 1 John, chapter 2. I really, really enjoyed singing our first song this morning. It's amazing. I didn't realize how much I missed being here last week. To be honest with you, I was glad to cancel service, not to not be with you. But the thought of shoveling a foot of snow and snow blowing, trying to you know squeak in here and battle all of that just was not my idea of fun. So uh, I hope you found the the video that we put out. Uh, just kind of sharing you guys some encouragement challenge helped you. But I want to pick up where that left off last week. And I want to share with you the second test that John the Apostle gives us for our salvation. As I shared a couple of weeks ago that that John wrote uh, the letter of First John to us so that we might know that we have eternal life. You see, God wants us to know exactly where we stand with him. And if we know him, he doesn't want us to have any doubts. Doubting is going to be okay, is normal. You're going to go through some of those little times, those little seasons. But if it's every day, if it's regular, if it's throughout your life, That's a sign that something's, you're confused, something's going on, you need to talk to somebody to get help there. But John has given us an objective test that we can truly know whether or not we have a relationship with God, that we really know Christ, that everything's okay, and uh, this week's test that he gives us is the test of, of obedience. Last week was whether or not we're walking in sin or walking in darkness. And, and this one's kind of related. That was kind of the negative side, if you will. This one is the positive side. Are we, walk, are we walking fully in obedience? Here's why this is so important. A few years ago, I got a kind of a, a stark reminder of what it is going to be like when our life is all said and done. I mean, guys, we have a finite number of days on this planet Earth, all right? It may seem like we have a lot of days in front of us. Some of you may feel that, some of you may be a little bit older. You're like, no, I probably have a fewer in front of me than I have behind me. But regardless, all of us are not dealing with infinity. We're dealing with a set number of days of our lifespan. And when our life is over, it's over. And we stand before God wherever we stand and that's it. A few years ago I took um, my wife and I took several of our kids down to the city and I wanted to take them to the Statue of Liberty you can't live in New York without your kids seeing the Statue of Liberty other than a picture right or a video or you know other some of the sites and so we drove down into Manhattan and uh, I have eight kids so it was a lot cheaper to pile them into my van and it only took me three parking garages to find one that I could fit in but we got in there near Battery Park and made it I saved it on my GPS I'm like now I know where to go next time I need to come and uh, anyway so we got on the ferry went to the the Statue of Liberty but before we did that we had purchased our tickets to do the little tour to go up inside of it and uh, when I got there uh, there were a number of people that had not prepared for their trip. They had bought their ferry ticket and they thought that was all they needed. They didn't realize that that just got you to the island and I saw as they got in line to talk to the the Park Service you know the uh, the Rangers or whatever they're called that they literally, they were not able to get into the Statue of Liberty. And I saw the shock on their faces, the anger, the frustration. They had paid their money. They had ridden the ferry all the way out. There were the full expectation of being able to go up into the, the statue and they were turned away. And I saw the park ranger have to tell them, I'm sorry, you, you don't have a ticket and you can't buy them here. You had to come with it pre, pre-purchased already. This is not the way it works. The information's online. I'm sorry if you didn't see it, but you know that's out there. And I watched the anger, the shock, the frustration. And the Bible says that there's going to be coming a time where there will be people that will be turned away, fully expecting to go to heaven and God, Jesus himself will say, I'm sorry. In fact, the scariest verses I think in all the Bible, Jesus himself uttered in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Catch that. I know this is early and it's a little intense. You may need a second cup of coffee. I probably do as well. So hang with me, but listen to what he said. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who claims to know me, who knows me as Jesus and claims that I'm their Lord, will get into heaven. Next verse is even scarier. Many will say to me, not a few, not a couple, not some, many's a lot, can we all agree with that? Many is a lot, a lot of people. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name And in your name cast out devils, and in your name done, wonderful works. Jesus, what's wrong? Why are we in the wrong line? Why are we in the line that's not going to heaven? We did all of this stuff for you. We served you. We did all these amazing things, things that I've never even done. And here's what Jesus will tell them. This will be many people. And then I will profess to them, I depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you sinners. He said, Jesus says, in essence, you claim to know me. I really don't know you. You claim to have done a lot of good stuff. Actually, when I look at your life, I see sin and disobedience. And the final words that they will hear from God is, depart, leave me. How many of you have ever made a mistake in life? Yeah, me too, lots of them. I have no idea how many years I've got in front of me, but I'm sure I've got many more mistakes in front of me. That is one mistake I assure you, none of us in this room wanna make. We don't wanna go through life thinking everything's good, only to find out at the very end, when there is no overtime, there's no contingency plans, there's no second chances, when that's it, and God says, you're done. I'm sorry, depart from me. So the reason why John is writing this to us this morning guys is it's really important that we objectively examine where we are in our relationship with Jesus. It's of vital importance that we do that. And this morning is the second test that John gives us. It's an objective test. It is not subjective, it is very objective. So pray with me and we're gonna unpack it today. Father in heaven, we are grateful for Jesus. Thank you that he is truth, that he brought truth, he lived truth, and he shows that to us. Thank you that he died on the cross for our sins. Father, I pray that you would peel back the, the, any of the lies that are in our heart, the people that Jesus has told us, warned us that they will have deceived themselves all the way to the end of their life, thinking that they're okay, and that their religious life and the, that everything is good, but only to find out that it's not. Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to the individuals this morning that need it. Lord, to those who do know you, I pray that you would encourage them to lift them up. I pray that there would be a confidence in their heart as they consider uh, that they can truly know that they know you. Lord, I pray that you would work in our lives today, and I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. So before we we unpack that that second command test, I want you to read with me, if you would, in 1 John chapter 2. Start with me in verse 3. And and the first thing I want you to notice is that God is a God not just to be believed in, but to know. He's a God to be known. Look at verse 3. And by this, John says, we know that we have come to know him. We know that we know him. If, big if, ought to be circled, highlighted, if. What? We keep his commandments. Test number two, are we keeping the commandments of Jesus? He says in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, not just his, not just the ten commandments, but God's word and all of the commands and implications for our lives. This is way more than don't tell a lie and don't steal and don't murder. But are we keeping his commands? Are we keeping his word? And he says, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this, we know, we may know that we are in him. Whoever he abides in him, whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in him which he walked, ought to live the way he lived. In other words, ought to be obedient and following the commands that he has given us. So before we unpack that second test, I want you to recognize this morning with me that God is not just a God to be believed in, but he's a God to be be known. That's what John says. He says, by this, we know that we've come to know him. We've come to know him, just as Jesus talk, told us in Matthew 7 that, that the knowing of Jesus is, is right there along with obeying Jesus. It's the same way here, that God is not just a God to be obeyed. There's, God doesn't just hand us a bunch of rules to follow and say, hey, at the end of the day, I'm going to measure up all of these rules, and if you get a 65 or better, what's passing in school these days? What is it? Is it 65? Is it 60? What is it? 60? 60? All right, it's a 60, so uh, as long as you're at a 61, whoo, you're in. You're good. God's not going to do that. You know, like there's a thousand question multiple choice. He's not going to look at your life, put it on the replay monitor, you know, play by play. Oh, there's one against you. Check mark, check mark. How would you like to there to be sitting before Jesus looking at your entire life, check mark at a time? I mean, I don't ever remember a teacher like grading my papers when I had to sit there and watch. I mean, I'd be like sweating bullets. And can you imagine knowing that you couldn't afford say more than 400 wrong things you did in your life? And as you start getting to 389, 390, I mean, and knowing your eternity's in the balance, you'd be sweating bullets, absolutely. But I want us to realize that God doesn't give us a bunch of list of things to do. That's not reality. He is a God who says, you have to know me. I have to have a relationship with you. And we, what's what we talk about. God is not interested in religion as much as he is a relationship with us that only comes when we realize we could never be good enough because we do one bad check mark on the page that says we got it wrong is enough to separate us from God. So God has to forgive us of our sin. He has to forgive us of all of it and cover those sins that we can't be good enough. And in the process, we were come to realize that, God, I can never. I mean, if I tell one lie, how many truths do I have to tell to overcome a lie? A thousand doesn't cut it, right? A thousand doesn't cut it. I assure you guys, you're dating a girl and you tell her a lie. It's going to take more than a couple, two or three lie, truths to make up for that. In fact, a thousand, you're still going to remember, you lied to me. Like, that's bad, really bad, right? So we do one thing against God and we're condemned for him because it separates us from him. It lowers, we're below his standard. We are not holy and we stand condemned. So we need him to forgive us. We need his righteousness, his perfection on our account to have a relationship with him. And another way of looking at that is, is, is we enter into that relationship so that we truly know him. God is not just a God to be believed in. He's a God to be known. In the Old Testament, there is a propensity in all of us as people. We all will put something of great value in front of us that we trust in, that we put our hope in, that we think answers the big questions of life, that we put our stock in and our priority. And there's all, we're good, we're creative at coming up with all kinds of things that why we expect things to work out and have hope and that we would literally even worship and lift up and venerate. In the Old Testament, God said, don't you dare make any idols. Don't you dare go back to your fancy, you know, wood carving or your metalworking and create an image and say, this is just a picture of me. Don't you dare do that. Don't you dare bow down to any kind of other idol. And the reality was, is that they did that time and time and time again. I'll tell you a secret. Whenever God tells us to do something or not do something, it's because he knows that it's not our nature to do that. If it was, he wouldn't have to tell us, right? How often does God have to tell us to make sure you get enough food today? Okay. Make sure you drink enough water. Make sure you're okay with that. He doesn't have to tell us that. In fact, if anything, he says the opposite. Make sure that you don't eat too much. <laughs> he deals, he always, whenever he tells us something to do, it's because we don't want to do it and it's not our nature. And when he tells us not to do something, it's because it is our tendency to want to do that. And so he tells us not to bow down to those idols and, and the people did, and we still do today. They're not wood and statues. They're all kinds of other things. They're money, our bank account our great GPA score, our getting into college, our our family, our spouse, there's all kinds of stuff that we can set up as our hope and our greatest good and our philosophies of life and our idols, if you will. And what God told the the Jews in the Old Testament, he said, why are you falling down before these blocks of wood? They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have a mouth, but they don't say anything. Why are you putting your trust in them? Now think with this with me. This is not complicated. So they're calling this block of wood a God, and they're convinced that that God is going to help them and is providing for them and making them way in the life, in in life. Now, but there is no real God there that they can know. There's, There's nothing there that they can have a relationship with. So they're putting their trust in coincidences well, I prayed the day that it would rain, and you know, I prayed to my God that it would rain, and you know what? It rained. The next day, it must be real. They they had a belief in this God. It was a belief in coincidences. It was a shallow belief, but there was no relationship. Can you have a relationship with your toaster? You really can't. With your computer, you really can't. Right? There's all kind. I don't have a relationship with my car. I mean. Things are gonna be talking to us a lot more. I don't mean you're hearing voices from your toaster, or whatever, but I'm just expecting the day is coming like we just, you know, everything is a voice command. I mean, we just go through life and don't do anything, I guess. But, but that's not a relationship. There's not a knowing of a person, a personality there. So God is a God to be known. He's a God that, that wants us to know him, that wants us to be tight with him, that, that, that wants us to be in him and with him. Jesus is, is a Lord to be the Lord, but to be not just one that we believe in from afar, but one that we know close up. Here's why I'm focusing on this so much. So many people go through life thinking, well, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, but they really don't know him. They really don't have a relationship with him. Their relationship is no better than what the Jews did in the Old Testament, believing in a block of wood. Well, I pray. Okay, they pray too. But I I believe, well, I'm glad you believe in Jesus, but do you really know Jesus? See, at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, the issue is, is do you know me? Not just do you believe me and call me Lord, but do you really know me? and here's how you can know, here's the test. Do you keep my commandments? Notice he doesn't say, do you know my word? He doesn't say, do you have the right theology? He doesn't say, did you graduate from seminary? He doesn't say, did you go to church a whole lot? He doesn't say, did you pray a whole lot? He says what? He says, do you keep my commandments? You know me, and we know that we know him, our assurance, we know that, objective test, if we keep His commandments. A few years ago, I, um, I woke up in the night not feeling well, four or five years ago, and uh, I was kind of sick to my stomach, and I usually sleep pretty well. I, I like to sleep. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah, I really like good sleep, <laughs> and I get pretty bummed when I don't get good sleep. But I woke up in the middle of the night, not feeling well. I was kind of upset to my stomach. I had a headache and I just, I didn't feel right. I went downstairs, ate some crackers and I thought, well, I'll just kind of, you know, sit here in a little recliner chair and kind of took my pillow and thought, well, maybe I can settle in and get some sleep here. And, and it just, it began making me nervous and my jaw began to hurt and I began to feel really kind of weird. And I kind of had this thought of, Sean, you're, you're in trouble you're gonna be in trouble here, not be able to get your wife's attention. You better get upstairs. So I went upstairs and woke my wife up and said, honey, I don't feel right. And I'm, I'm sitting there and you know I'm just, I didn't realize but I'm kind of rubbing my arm and I said, honey, I don't feel right. I told her my jaw's hurting me, my head's hurting, I'm sick and I feel this pain. And she looks at me and she says, you're having a heart attack. And I did what every self-respecting husband would do. I said, absolutely not, I denied it. <laughs> You know, and then I there's a second thing that every self-respecting husband would do. I Googled it, right? <laughs> you know, and I looked at it and she's like, you're rubbing your arm. I'm like, I am? Oh, I am. Yeah, my arm does feel tight and weird. And I looked at the symptoms and, and I'm like, wow, I really might be having a heart attack. Oh my goodness, we should like, Oh, okay, let's go. Don't do what I did. Somebody told me later it was a dumb mistake. I'm like, well, I guess we gotta go to the hospital. So she took me to the hospital. If you think you're having a heart attack, you just need to call somebody who's smarter than you, okay, and that's not me, all right? And uh, we get in the car, and then we drive to Amsterdam, maybe 15 minutes away, and I tell you, by the time I was there, I thought somebody had put a 500-pound brick right on my chest. The pressure was just, I mean, literally, I'm thinking, God, this is not good. I'm like I'm not ready for this and it was I was convinced I was having a heart attack I'm laying in the hospital bed and they're doing their stuff and you know and all the tests I'm like holy cow god this is really bad well two days later they finally said Sean you didn't have a heart attack they did treadmill and all of that and nope you didn't they do a test when you have a heart when they think you have a heart attack apparently I'm not a doctor but Google told me this so it must be right (laughs) but Your body, your heart releases like proteins and enzymes into your bloodstream. And so it's pretty simple. If they find that stuff, you had a heart attack. They don't find that stuff, no, you didn't have a heart attack. I didn't have any of that stuff in my blood system. To be honest with you, what it was was just stress. So take the lesson. Stress can do a whole lot of bad stuff too. And it put me in the hospital for two days and made me think I was having a heart attack. And every one of us can have it. But here's my point. My point is this. Those proteins and enzymes that get released into our bodies when we're having a heart attack, they don't cause the heart attack. They don't produce it. We don't have a heart attack because of them. The heart attack produces them. They are the result of the heart attack. That's exactly what John is talking about. He says, look, guys, if you know me and if you really are saved, if you have really surrendered your life to Jesus, repented of your sins, and are born again, your life is going to be different. You're going to obey me. That's the natural results. You're going to have my DNA, not so much protein and enzymes and you're coursing through your veins, but my DNA of light is now going to be in your life because when God saves us, he seals us with his Holy Spirit and he begins to reproduce his DNA into us. And we can't help but to begin to obey His commandments. I've seen many of you that I have known before you knew Jesus, and I've seen your life just change profoundly after that and continue to change after that. It's unbelievable what God does. And that's what John is talking about, he's like, look, you claim to know me, but if your life is just as messed up after that as it was before that, I'm sorry, you're mistaken. If you say that, you know, you, you understand that you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross and you even pray a prayer and ask him to forgive you, but your life is still in full disobedience of me and you're not obeying me as I'm teaching you, I'm sorry. You really don't know me. I look at your life and I see your sin. My DNA has not been reproduced in you. See, so many of us as people are hardwired and it's so hard to get past it that we think that, well, I got to clean my life up and I've got to be good and I got to do all of that. And if I get it okay, then God's going to accept me. No, it's the other way around. The, the obedience and the good stuff that we do is the result of our salvation. It's the fruit. It's the the natural what happens every time when the God of heaven, the God of the universe who is holy and perfect and pure invades our soul and lives inside of us. It can't help but rub off inside of us. It can't help but to begin to change our lives. Not that we're perfect the moment that we're saved. Not that we'll ever be perfect but God does something amazing that just changes us and he puts us on a journey of obeying him more and more and we want to because he's our father and we have a relationship with him. And so if you wanna know if you're really on that journey, look at your life and the commandments of God. I've got a friend of mine who many years ago who who watched Billy Graham, was living the typical life. He lived down, worked in the city and uh, he was a businessman down there and uh, was one night watching Billy Graham and, uh, and prayed the sinner's prayer with Billy after the service. So Billy Graham died, I don't remember, You know, not too long ago. But yet, when that person says, but Sean, after that, my life did not change at all. I was still the same person, the same sinner after that. It wasn't until a number of years later that that same person began to really understand their sin and really genuinely surrender their life to Jesus. That's when they really trusted him. You see, our when we talk about surrendering our life to Christ, it's more than just a, a little simple prayer, if you will. To be honest with you, John never tells us, if you want to really know if you're saved, well, did you pray a prayer? Depending on your church background and your experiences, that may be what you go back to, that little stake in time. But what John looks at, it's like, I don't care what you did or didn't do 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Talk to me about your life now. Are you obeying Jesus or not? If you are, then God's DNA is inside you and you really do know him. You have a relationship with him. So that means for some of you who know Jesus, you may have gotten saved. You may have really trusted him later than you think you did. For others of you, it may mean that you really haven't trusted him yet because you just kind of did a little fire insurance prayer. You know, a little quickie test on Facebook. Check the box. I'm in. I'm good, God. You know, I did my little, my little prayer kind of thing. And what God is looking for is like, no, am I really Lord of your life or not? Romans 10 talks about that. Romans 10 says that if we um, confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord, in other words, that Jesus is our Lord. If we agree with and admit that our life is before him and we've surrendered our life, that he is our Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again for our sins and our whole hope and trust is in what he did alone, then we're saved. That's what the second test is all about. And the third thing I want you to know before I'm done is he gives us an example of what that should look like of one of his commandments. Look what he says in verse 7. I love that John doesn't then give us 10 or 20 or 30. He gives us one. One. One thing. Parents, how many times have you ever said, can't you just do this one thing? How many times? We'd be millionaires with all of us with kids. And kids, one day you'll do it to your kids. It's just one of those things. We just pass it down generation. Our parents did it to us and it goes down the line. But God gives us one thing. Look what he says. In verse 7, beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment this is nothing new that you had from the beginning the old commandment is a word that you have heard at the same time it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining Sean what is he talking about he's talking double talk he's just saying this he's just like look it's a little bit new because we didn't say this exactly the same way and Jesus has come who is that light who has shined into a darkened place. Read John 1 and you can hear more about it. It's a little bit new because we didn't really share it in the Old Testament quite like this, but it's really not new because that's really the whole point of the Old Testament. Jesus said, you know, there's, there's two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two. Everything hinges on those. So it's really an old thing, but it's a little bit new. Not so, not so new, though. And here's what he says. Whoever says he's in the light, I'm walking with Jesus. God's light's in my life. But he hates his brother, eh, he's still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother, he lives, he abides in that light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. Stumbling, spiritually stumbling in the darkness. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness is blinded his eyes. This past week I had a meeting. uh, I can't remember which night. I think maybe Monday night. And uh, I was driving home. I I live about half an hour from here. It takes me a little while to get home. And I go down Carmen Road uh, and hop on 890 and go from there. And I got down Carmen Road and I realized, oh, I left my laptop. You ever do that? Like, Well, I'll just come tomorrow. And I thought, yeah, I really don't want to go back now. I'm going to want to come back even less tomorrow. So I bit the bullet. It was like, I don't know, it was after 7 or whatever, and you know, I hadn't had dinner. I'm like, oh, I'll just go back and you know, 15 minutes or so. And I got behind a car on Carmen Road that was doing, not exaggerating, I looked at my speedometer, this is not preacher talk, 20 to 25. Carmen Road is like 40, I think, 40? Is it 45? I think it's 40, isn't it? Do you know how long Carmen Road is when you're driving 20 miles an hour? And you're already late, and you're even later now, and can I tell you, I, I began like, oh, I could feel just like frustration and oh, why doesn't Carmen have a passing lane? Like I was being the DOT expert, like I could have passed right here, fine, nobody's on the road, you know, and I, and I began being convicted. You know, the Bible says that we are to guard our hearts with all diligence. I wasn't showing the driver, I have no idea if it was a man or a woman, um, I wasn't showing them a lot of love. I wasn't doing road rage. I wasn't honking my horn. I wasn't, vroom, you know. I mean, you know, I was probably a little closer than I should have been, but I, you know. But you know what I've learned over the years? That's not the issue. It's not what I do as much as what's in here, because what's in here eventually comes out in what I do. I wasn't loving her or him, and... Um, and then I began thinking, wow, what if that was one of my family members? I'd feel like the biggest jerk. Wow, this person might actually be nervous driving and you know the weather, it was rainy or wet. And I began kind of thinking life from their perspective, wow, what if that was somebody from River? I'd really feel like a jerk. And it began to change my pers- perspective. Um, I won't tell you the rest of the story, but let's just say it took me another hour, it took me an hour and a half to get home that night. I had to do a detour. Instead of going west, I ended up getting on the thruway and going all the way back down cross gates and coming back down through western Ave. Three times I went by the church that night just to get home. It was ridiculous. But anyway, here's the thing. Do you remember when we did this series through First Corinthians? Love is patient and kind. My heart did not have love in that moment. Jesus tells us a command that God gives us is love to love one another deeply, to put the other person in front of us. This goes way beyond, well, don't tell a lie, don't rape, don't kill, don't steal, you know. This goes to much deeper things. You know what happens with me when I get, when I'm getting stressed in life, I get impatient. And I begin to treat people around me a little poorly. I begin to just bark out a command and instead of taking my time to work through it, I began just expecting others to, you know, let's snap, let's do it, let's jump. I don't want to deal with issues. Anybody else else have that problem? Anybody with me? I'm not terribly loving even people that I love in those moments. And what Jesus is telling us in this passage and in other places, don't do it. You're really not obeying me when you do that. Because you see, it's out of the heart that our whole life, the Bible tells us to guard our heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. So when we think about this, you need to really genuinely examine your life. God, am I truly obeying you? I'm not asking you, are you perfect? Because none of us are perfect. But are you genuinely growing in that relationship and that walk with God? Is it changing you? Is it causing you to step back and say, I need to think about the people driving the car in front of me. I need to think about the people that are around me. Or are you just finding your goodness in the fact that, you know, I haven't killed anybody. I'm a good person. I went to church. I, I served in the kids program. I did all these things. Because the day is coming, guys, where Jesus says, that ain't enough. Do you really, truly know me? So there's several things that you could potentially take out of this. and There may be some more that I don't want to suggest, but let me put a couple things on the table for you. For one, some of you have think that you know Jesus and you don't. I don't know who you are. I was that way for a few years and God kind of finally jolted me in my teen years. Like, you really, I really don't know you, Sean. You need to seriously take a step back and say, God, I've got this life that I'm living that I know that I'm not, you know, I would be uncomfortable with all my Christian friends knowing, and I'm really not living that. I guess I really don't know you. You need to start exploring that, and I urge you to truly deal honestly with your soul before God. And if you come to that conclusion where the issue is you really have not surrendered your life to Jesus, and today, I urge you, our music team is going to be appearing in just a minute during our response song. All it takes is sincerely in your heart, surrendering your life to the authority of God and trusting in His Son, Jesus, that He died for you, turning away from that junk and that sin, saying, God, I don't want to do it again. Help me. I trust Jesus to die who died for me. I want Him to be my Lord. If you do know Jesus and you've wondered about your salvation, or maybe you had a little bit of doubt, I want you to have confidence. If you look at your life, and God has changed you, and, and you're obeying him, and you really know that Jesus died for you, and that's your hope, then you ought to have a confidence in that. God wants us to know that, to live fully within that. Maybe you know him, but you've gotten comfortable with your level of godliness, or how much you know. Here's a mistake that we make as Christians. We begin to measure our growth and our maturity based on what we know more than based on what we do. For not careful, even it's subtly, I began to be a little bit convicted. Like we go to Bible studies and it's good to go to Bible studies, but when you study something, it's like school that you know something, right? But truthfully, when God looks at us, he's not asking how much you know, He's asking how much you do. We're to be keepers of his word. In fact, the Bible tells us that all the time. We're to be doers of the word, we're to keep his word. In this passage, it talks about keeping his commandments. It doesn't say, do you know them?" It says, do you do them?" So for some of you, that means you need to say, move back and say, well, I, I understand theology. I understand what the Bible teaches. You actually need to spend more time looking at your life and how much you are obeying. Look at me with this, this, look at it this way. I would rather see us all spend at least as much time trying to figure out how we should obey God's word as we do trying to know God's word. Sean, are you saying you shouldn't really study the Bible deeply? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this it's a whole lot more comfortable and it's a whole lot easier to dig into specific words and knowing the Bible and trying to understand it, than it is to really say, okay, God, you just told me I'm supposed to love my brother. Let's spend some few minutes here thinking about that. Do you have to spend a lot of time studying that commandment? You really don't, do you? But you do need to spend a lot of time thinking about where you're not, and asking God to reveal that to you. Look look at it this way. I'm reading right now through Ezekiel. And uh, I've always struggled reading through the prophets because they talk about people and places and stuff that I'm just like, I don't even know where that is. I mean, like it could be on the moon for all that I know, right? And, and I'm reading through it and it talks about, I think it's in like chapter 36, 37, talking about God God is just judging one group after the other in that whole section, like Israel and G- Egypt and Tyre and Sidon. And, and this morning, my devotion, he's judging um, Mount Seir. And I'm looking, I'm like, I don't even know where that is. I probably did at one point in my time. I probably answered it right on a test somewhere, but I have no clue where that. I don't even know if it's a city, is it a mountain, is it a country? What in the world is it? I could have opened up all kinds of books. I could have Googled it. But I looked at it enough, and he was talking about the cities, and I'm like, okay, so it's a country of some sort, and he's judging them because they were, they were ruthless with how they treated Jerusalem. So it wasn't Israel of somebody else. That's all I needed to know. I didn't need to do an hour-long study about, oh, that's cool, and pull out all the maps and all that. Would that have been okay? Sure but you know what I really need to pay attention to? God said he was judging them because of their sins and because they were ruthless, he was gonna be ruthless with them because they were bloody with Israel, he was gonna be bloody with them. And you know what I spent more of my time? God, where have I not been treating people right? Because that's what you're really telling me here, that you're a God who cares about right and wrong. So I wanna challenge some of the more mature Christians in the room, if you're not spending more time thinking about how you obey God's word, than you are just reading it and the academic side of it, you're missing the boat. Because God wants you to grow and he cares about your obedience way more than you know. You're not gonna get to heaven he's gonna give you tests. Well, I'm sorry, you didn't know where Mount Seir was. So you only had this mansion today. You could have had that one, but you only got this one. It's not what he's gonna do. He's gonna be, are you obeying me? Where are you following me? So wherever God is this morning, examine your life. Because he speaks through his word powerfully. I'm gonna pray our team is gonna come up and whatever you feel like God has been speaking to you, pay attention to those thoughts in your mind, and your heart. Listen to them. This, these next couple of songs is a time that you can sing and praise if you want to. You can pray if you want to. If you need to get up and go back and think, get up and go back and think. If you need to kneel with where you are, you do it. But it's your opportunity to just respond to what God has put in your heart. So pray with me, would you? Father, we are grateful for Jesus. Thank you for his salvation that he brings into our life. Lord. Thank you that you want us to know right where we stand with you. And if we are honest with ourselves and honest with you, Lord, you'll reveal that to us. And I pray, Father, that each one of us here this morning would know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Lord, I don't want anyone in this room to one day stand before you and be just like what I saw there at the Statue of Liberty years ago. Lord, I I don't want anyone to be surprised. God, would you reveal yourself to each person, convict of sin, show us where we are, and when we know Jesus, may we walk in full confidence, not doubting, but in faith. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand? Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.